everyone, and welcome along to the Luton Town Supporters Trust podcast. I've, I'm Kev. I've got the gang together again at long last. It's been a while since we uh, got together, but this is our first podcast of 2020. Uh, I trust in the time since we last recorded, you had a very Merry Christmas and enjoyed all the New Year fun and frolics that came with it. And I'm sure that's the case with you, James and Tony. Oh, yes. Yeah, right. Just a you know, bout of coronavirus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a couple of ales sorted me out. It's doing, it's doing the rounds by all accounts, <laughs> yep. um, far and wide. Uh, we've also got uh, Luton Town Supporters Trust uh, honorary member Reg Harper along with us again this month. Reg, how are you doing? Not too bad. A bit uh, full of cold, but apart from that, so if I'm sniffing and sneezing, I apologise. That's where your coronavirus went then, James, <laughs> uh, across to there. Yeah, and no, I'm sitting next to him. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, as it's been so long since we last did a podcast, there is plenty to talk about, um, so let's get stuck in, chaps. So we'll start actually with a bit of a poignant uh, sort of moment, because since we were last around the table recording, uh, news broke that uh, we sadly lost the popular Santa. Tony, I know you were quite close to him. Uh, just give us a few thoughts on, on what, what a sad miss it's going to be to the Luton fan base and, of course, the community. Oh, oh yeah where do I start um, to lose such a big presence is uh, really really upsetting um, I know a couple of people who actually uh, spoke to him just before it, um, it he, he passed and uh, the news was that he was getting better and he was looking forward to getting back to Kenilworth Road and watching a few games and sadly it wasn't to be but it is a big loss for us all. There's a lot of people um, upset by this, including myself. Um, and he was a larger-than-life character who impacted on a lot of people's lives. And uh, he leaves a, a lot of good memories. And we'll always have that. And we'll always have a Santa as a hatter. Mm-hmm. And such was his recognition as a Luton fan that the Supporters Trust gave him our Outstanding Contribution Award because of the charity work that he'd done, obviously, as Santa, going around all the local hospitals. He actually became the football club's Santa, didn't he? And um, very popular with it. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, the work he did for for charity was, was absolutely fantastic. I mean, every year he'd put on his Santa outfit and he'd, he'd go... Um, to various places people could hire him out as Santa and he never made a single penny from it it was always donated to charity he always had good words to say about people always put a smile on people's faces and I think when he won our award I think it was one of the most popular and I I certainly got a lot of pressure from presenting that to him Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he at least got some recognition. I remember after it, um, he f- phoned me up and um, he said he was so surprised at getting it, but he he, he felt it was a, was one of the proudest moments of his life, which was nice to say. Um, I think not just myself, but a lot of people will miss him leading the team out at uh, our Christmas game. You know, so um, a sad day, a sad day. Reggie also knew Nigel well. A um, few thoughts from you? Yeah, um, known Nigel for years, but not really. 
communicated with him that much, apart from over the last 10 or 12 years when friendship got a bit close. Um, he used to come over to the Wagon and Horses on a Friday night for a live entertainment. And I asked him if he'd come over and do Santa, let people take pictures. And he did that for me for four years on uh, Christmas Eve, one till three. And um, one Friday night we was in the pub and we was having a, a drink. Dodger wasn't drinking then, he was drinking blackcurrant. And I said to him, how have you done this year for your fundraising? Uh, 19 and a half thousand, he said, this year. Then a couple of years later, same thing, Friday night, different band. How have you done this year? 27 grand this year. The man was a mountain. Yeah. Absolute mountain. You know, I mean, I've done a lot of fundraising um, years back, and it's not easy. It just is not easy to raise money. But he just had a knack for it. People loved him. He was an absolute mountain. Going to be sadly missed. I'm going to miss him big time. Yeah. Yeah, our thoughts go out to uh, his children, family, friends and, and everyone who knew Santa and we extend those um, wishes to the friends and family of Arthur Mason, the uh, Luton Town walking football captain and manager who was another town fan who sadly passed away this week and if you are going to the Cardiff City game there is a uh, minute's applause after an hour uh, at the game so uh, please take part in that like you did in the um, the one for Santa against Derby there has been some good news uh, since we last um, sat around this table, James. Newlands Park, there is no final objections. The hurdles, they're all clear now. It's just that straight run to the finish line. Yeah. It's a shame this is a podcast because every time somebody mentions it to me, I've got a massive smile on my face. You won't be able to see it, but... Uh yeah, it's been quite the battle, quite the journey. It feels like a long time ago since the news came, actually. Um, <clears throat> and I was I was surprised. I'll be honest with you. I thought they were going to drag it out for as long as possible to the very last um, possible legal uh, option they had. And somehow, I don't know whether, whether they saw sense themselves or whether maybe their new owner's growth point realised they were flogging a dead horse, but... They gave up the ghost, so um, it's going to happen now. Power Court, Newlands Park is going to happen. It's just, it's when now, not if. I think, actually, if you look back on hindsight, it was always going to be when, not if. <clears throat> you know, the thing for me is that without, uh, we'll talk about the football, obviously, uh, coming up, but without their um, sticking their nose in where it wasn't wanted, Luton have lost a lot of, money and potential and really if you're looking at this season and wondering why Luton are down the bottom if they'd not done this four years ago three years ago there's a very real possibility that stadium could have been built and Luton could have been competing in the um, in the championship financially speaking yeah I mean even if the stadium hadn't been built <clears throat> people would have been in at Newlands Park by now wouldn't they the, yeah. the cash would have been started to be generated which you know in turn would have um made its way through Tony it was a great day that Monday afternoon wasn't it when it was fully announced once well, and for all oh yeah it was, it, it was fantastic um, you know I've I've, um, I've had a smile on my face like James has about that and uh, it gave us a real lift 
But I'd, I'd like to echo what, what James said about um, capital and regional there. It, it was such a shame that they, they felt they had the need to go down that route to delay. And, yeah, it has had a knock-on effect with the football club's finances. Um, you know, when right from the beginning, they could have taken the opportunity to sit round and talk um, to the club 2020 and actually been part of it but they decided to go the other way and I think they're paying the cost for it now you know they're, they're, they're certainly their reputation in the town is at an all time low I, know I, I myself and I know a lot of other people who actually want them out of the town mm. you know um, they seemed to think that they had the moral high ground when they didn't and they were totally acting against what the people of Luton wanted you know what the council wanted what the MPs wanted they, they apparently were the only ones who couldn't see the benefits and what it was going to what it is going to do for this town mm. yeah their attitude stunk throughout and um, like uh, like you've both said it's a shame that uh, they've taken it to this level but we can celebrate now that it is going to happen however as Gary Sweet alluded to in his programme notes in the game that followed the announcement not necessarily going to happen tomorrow no, I think, well, the world has changed, hasn't it? It, it really has. Um, yeah, Brexit, that, yeah. That, that word, not only have yeah. we left the EU since then, but it wasn't even around when it well, all started, was we it? we haven't, though, have we? We haven't left. People going on about this, we haven't left. It, we're still abiding by the oh, rules. Shit, we're not around the table able to implement, blah, blah, blah. I've we rest, haven't I've left. Ruffled a cage here. Any Brexiters out there, we haven't <laughs> left, by the way. We haven't. We're still there. <laughs> Uh, we just have absolutely no control over what says so you know whatever sovereignty taking our country back blah 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 no we haven't <laughs> nonsense but the world's changed <laughs> and um, there's uncertainty uh, everywhere um, so they're going to have to firstly they're, they're going to have to sort of revamp the designs a little bit because of housing markets and business and stuff like that I don't think it's a retail issue they understand that retail is changing and what they were doing was a high-end thing anyway and it was so small compared to what Capital Regional were making out to be and, and, and the reason that they were really sticking their oar in because they didn't like it there's still going to be retail up at Newlands Park probably, there'd be a little bit of retail at Power Court as well but um, it's about when they can deliver this now and I, I kind of think 18 months to two years to get the ball rolling maybe another two to build it I think you're probably looking at four years maybe five years who knows they might surprise us I, I, I don't know I think that's probably just a, a reasonable conservative estimate about how long it might take yeah I, I, I think looking at it and, and, and trying to take um, positives out of it I, I, I think in, in, in one sense it's actually um done 2020 a favour in a way because if if Capital and Regional hadn't objected and um, the developments had gone ahead earlier then quite possibly um, it could have been built with a with different criteria mm. which could have had a detrimental effect as to how things are as you, as you say the situation is James so at least it means now that uh, 2020 can start these developments 
with a view to being more uh, in tune with the current situation so you know hopefully that will have a positive impact yeah i mean i think whatever they do they've got their finger on the pulse um i've got no qualms that they're going to deliver something that is greatly needed and will have longevity and and last a long time how's that can i have it back no and when it comes it'll be it'll be wonderful um that's the thing though isn't it when it comes i mean no one really cares how long it's going to take now because it's it's going to happen isn't it whereas i mean obviously we care we want it to be up and you know it'll be a great day when it it does but it it, like you said earlier it is going to be there now it's not Mm. if it's going to be there and oh i've waited 50 years 60 years it is going to be there now and we'll see it progressing as we're going along you Mm -hmm. know bricks will be laid foundations will be built and all the other john still um words the building out his his team and everything will will come will come to fruition there john still building it (laughs) hey listen he's built many a thing in his time i'm sure he could build that as well but you know that landscape now it's going to be changing on a daily basis i mean the the, the other thing as well with it um is uh, yeah we, we we're we're struggling in the championship at the moment but despite that the fact that this club now owns two patches of land that have got div- uh, planning permission to be developed means the actual value of the club has substantially increased mm. you know and, and uh, as a club we, we, we're far more attractive to potential investors now so um, that's got to be borne in mind that you know the, the football club is worth a hell of a lot more money now than it was before we got planning permission for all these developments and that's the key thing to really emphasize because a couple of three weeks ago a short-sighted fan was arguing with me on social media saying this is not a good time to be a Luton fan and I was like you are absolutely could not be more wrong if you tried with that I'll agree with you yeah okay we might even be relegated this season we'll discuss that in a little while but whatever happens this season the day that the council confirmed that the green light was officially there this became the best time to be a Luton fan we are well a maximum five years away from going into a brand new stadium a brand new horizon a brand new being <laughs> it could not be any better than it is now regardless of what happens over the next three months on the football pitch yeah I, I don't know who that was but I'm beyond bored with that sort of short-sightedness to be quite honest it's really frustrating me because you know you can be upset if your team is losing of course you can Think about the long-term future of this club. Twelve years ago, it was the eleventh hour, eleventh minute, the eleventh hour. It, ne- it nearly didn't exist. Mm. This club, this town, nearly did not have a football club. And so to just moan about oh, they're losing games when clearly, and I don't care what you want to say about this, finances play a huge part in. Uh, going up the football pyramid it's all right league one and league two it's a bit of a much of a much and there'll be some clubs that have a lot more money your Sunderland your Portsmouths Luton's after that but once you go to the championship it's astonishing how much money it costs there you're looking at Luton um, just on wage bills their highest earners um, earning half the amount of the average wage bill for a championship player so some bloke that's probably sat on the bench at 
Wigan, no, probably not Wigan, Stoke. Yeah, different example. Earning more than Luton's top earners. Well, you can't not last, compete. At our last home game, a certain Wayne Rooney was prancing around the pitch. 50 grand minimum a week, him. Yeah. Getting paid by arguably oh, a oh, Also, you, you look at it, I, I know Luton um, in the both, both of the recent transfer windows have been on the verge of signing uh, a, a good quality championship player. And at the last second, another championship club's come in, doubled the money on offer. Mm. So the, the club just doesn't have a chance. We, we, they can't compete. And there's a certain element in the support there. I, I like, yeah, well, we should be spending money. And yeah, okay, great. You know, don't they? Re- yeah, I suppose some of them are too young to remember, but three periods of um, by, being insolvent, nearly going out of business. If that were to happen again, then this time the club is gone. But it's important that people realise the enemy is not. 2020 capital and regional were the people that would have I mean if anybody does think that they're off their rocker to be quite honest the enemy uh, is defeated now but the enemy is still there in the shopping centre I'm with Tony. I wouldn't mind seeing them bugger off and, and, and getting out of town because um, they're not wanted. Have somebody else take over that Arndale and make it into something good because that place will thrive when Power Court comes along. And I'd rather it wasn't them that were benefiting from it after four years of um, sticking their nose in. <clears throat> but you've got to, you absolutely have to look at this um, in the long term. And it's not just a football club, that is the most important thing. The football club is the heart of this community, don't get me wrong, but this, these developments are going to benefit the town of Luton and every single person that lives here, full stop. And you ain't going to get that with most football grounds, new build football grounds. Um, and that is an astonishing piece of work from um, uh, 2020, what they've done. You, you don't even have to be a Luton Town fan. Obviously, they probably won't be listening to this podcast. You'll be a Hatters fan. But if you're a Lutonian, those guys have sorted you right out. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's a good way to uh, leave, that, leave that topic. There has been some football played since we, uh, since we last convened. has to be said, there hasn't been too much in the way of good football, but <laughs> there has been football. So let's quickly reflect on the games that that have taken place since we were last year. It started, actually, with probably the best game of the lot, funnily enough, uh, Reg, on Boxing Day, when uh, the town played Fulham in a really, really good game of football. The town took it to Fulham. Uh, they led three times. And, well, as is as has been the case this season, agony at the end. There you go. It's... Um it all boils down to what we all boils down to what we've just been talking about finances. Um, when you're playing a club like Fulham, um, and a lot of people would say, "Oh, Fulham, they're a London club. They're not a big club as a, as a London club like your Tottenham's, your Chelsea's, your Arsenal's." But they can afford multi-million-pound players. They can afford to pay one player, namely their striker more money than Luton pay their whole entire squad just one player you've got to take that into context we've got a fairly immature championship squad that in my view the only thing they lack is the ability to play for 90 minutes 
The very first game of the season at home to Middlesbrough was the best football I'd seen at Luton in 20 years. And I thought after that game, so did everybody else, buzzing when I was walking home, that we weren't going to have a problem. We've all been proved wrong that there's so many players that we've got now that can't produce it for 90 minutes. And a lot of the fans don't help. I mean, I sit down at Kenilworth Road at all the home games and the other week when we played, um, I think it was Swansea, and uh, Lua Lua must have been pulled down 25, 30 times. All right, the bloke got sent off in the 85th minute. Ridiculous. Should have been sent off in the fifth minute. But people sitting behind me were moaning in the 85th minute that Lua Lua weren't running. But he'd been running for 80 minutes, running his socks off. Mm. You know, and you think, hang on, what, what have you been watching? we've been looking at so the football is there it's just a matter of turning it into a 90 minute game instead of a 60 minute game you look back at the games that we've lost and we've we've been competing at their level at the opposition's level for an hour and it's all gone pear shaped in that last half hour if we can overcome that problem we'll stay up James we've seen Luton be guilty of some real calamity defending this season but I don't know if the Fulham defence had a few too many sherries on Christmas Day, but there was some right laughable defending in amongst that lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, usually this season you've seen Luton doing that um, and getting criticised for it. So it's nice to see people on um, uh, tens of thousands of pounds a week uh, getting it wrong. <clears throat> but I think it was a lot to do with Luton pressing as well. Uh, they thought they could just stroke it around the back and Luton pressed them a bit. And, um, yeah, they got it wrong. So uh, it was a really good performance by Luton. It's just so gutting at the end that they, they concede that way because I don't think... that Fulham didn't deserve... Uh, I don't think they even deserved a point at that. They weren't very good. No, they, <laughs> they weren't. weren't. But that is the difference, isn't it? They were not very good. They still scored three goals because they've got goal-scoring quality in their team. And there you go. I think what sort of shown it more than most was Alfie Mawson in the game at Craven Cottage he looked so good and in the return on Boxing Day he looked like Bambi and Ice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like the third goal I mean they couldn't have yeah. passed it through to Harry Cornick any better if they were wearing a Luton shirt and yeah. just put him was, through on goal it was just brilliant wasn't it's, it I it's mean, still actually a very good finish from Harry it really and was considering the amount of one-on-ones he's missed of late which we emphasised in that last podcast it yeah. was mm. It was more that he didn't have enough time to think about it, and he just first time shot. And I think it, like the better quality you get, if you take too much time, the goalkeeper might read it, you might get it wrong. But you see the really top quality strikers just hit balls out of nowhere, and that's where they catch goalies and defenders unaware because they're not expecting it. And like I, I think back, and maybe Robbie Fowler was wonderful at that because he had very little backlift, could hit it. He hit a screamer from 30 yards with nothing without showing the signs of it. And it's a, it's, a, it's a very good skill to have. And that's why those players get paid the big bucks and they're in the big leagues. Um, but, um, you know, Harry Cornick's got massive potential. He needs, needed to, he needs to have stuck a few more goals away, I think. I mean, when you, when you look at um, Harry, you can see there has been an improvement over last season. Yes, there and, is, he, yeah. and you know very much so, and 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 he's competing at a higher level, and uh, I think <coughs> as each game goes on, we are. 
getting better, we're competing more, and I think we are lasting longer. I, I agree with Reg's point. You know, we, we we haven't been lasting a whole match or putting that effort in, but you can see what it means to the players if you see when we lose how they react afterwards they're absolutely gutted mm. there was one game though that we didn't compete in and that was the following game we went from the sublime to the ridiculous at Bristol City um, we were beaten inside three minutes and did well to keep it to three that was a shocking mm. performance that was terrible it was just um, you know and considering when I heard I spoke to Graham afterwards and he said they'd worked in the build up on that it's all they'd done is worked on crosses stop Elias and Nicholas Elias from crossing the ball what happens three minutes in three minutes in Luke Bolton doesn't stop him and really that's cost him his place since he's not really had much of a sniff since then because he got given the run around and um, you almost felt for him it was that but yeah, that bad wasn't it I, I, I mean it, it was like man against boy wasn't it really he it, was toying it, with him down it, that it side it was but he he's been exposed a number of times and I, I actually raised this with Graham not in that press conference after that game but subsequently in a pre-match one where I suggested to him you know all credit to Pep Guardiola he's done what he's done but not everybody's perfect has he got this wrong that Luke Bolton is a fullback because I don't think he is mm. I think he's a better he, he, he looks better going forward. Yes, exactly, and that's where England playing still, um, ignoring Pep. And I just wonder whether they, you know they, they, they've they've done um, him a disservice, and maybe Luton a disservice by insisting that he is, um, when clearly he's got pace to burn. And you would imagine at his age, he'd be fairly fearless going forwards as well, which is, makes for a great winger. But he's been exposed a lot of times in defence and that is going to knock your confidence. So I would really like to see him deployed in that um, uh, in that position. They've got defenders that can do that, proper defenders. Well, I say defenders. <laughs> <laughs> by trade, yeah. By trade that can do but that. It, it always seems to be the same thing it's, it's it's the cross to the back post all the time isn't it that that mm. seems to be our main weakness it wasn't just Bolton on that yeah. goal for the Bristol yeah. one because yeah, James Bree, Bree post, yeah. I don't know what he was doing mm. it's just no strength there whatsoever no determination to see that out I mean the only thing you'd say is he's playing left back when he, he's clearly not a left back is he and he's but, been better at right back yeah have, I, I, I think you have to, to assess him on, on his yeah. right back which I'm sure I, we'll do in these games to come but I uh, think as well like the full back you, you, you can't let it go by without mentioning Dan Potts some of the errors he, he's made and you know when you watch the game one of the things that worries me is the amount of space that yeah. Potts he gives that yeah, I think we're going Winner. to... You know, he stands yards off him instead we'll, of getting a bit closer. We'll come on to some of the yeah. sort of mistakes that that he's made um, when we go on to the, uh, the January games. Just a quick thing on that Bristol City game. Disappointing anyway, but was it even more disappointing considering we dispatched them so easily at our place mm. that we were that we surrendered so meekly at their place? And I, and I, I I accept that we put in a hell of a shift against Fulham. I mentioned in the last podcast that I'd have wrote that Bristol City game off completely and gone for the Fulham and the Millwall games but we surrendered way too easily in that game oh yeah there was nothing after that it was just dire to watch it was nothing um, as I say we did we were lucky really that it was the second game of that and Bristol City didn't fancy putting the 
pedal to the metal because um, they could have had as many as they wanted that afternoon, really. Yeah. It could have been another Brentford if they'd wanted it. Yeah, it, no, it, it absolutely could have. And there was nothing coming back at all, really. So, yeah, it was uh, yeah, well, <laughs> it pretty, pretty disappointing. It was, it was, other than that, it was quite good. It was the best ground I've been to in terms of press facilities. Well, like, I'm glad you got something good out of the good, afternoon. I had a good the feed from Bristol City. Yeah, yeah. The, re- the rest of us didn't get none, nothing of the like, but at least you got a good feed. I suppose that was a good thing. That was the last game of the decade. One of the worst games of the decade, funnily enough, but it was still a fantastic decade. We reflected on that in the last podcast that we did, but Simon's um, sent us through some stats that cover the entirety of uh, the decade. So let's just remember just how good a decade it's been for Luton Town. Over to you, Simon. Thanks, Kevin. And yes, here we are then, the first stats review of 2020. And let's take a look back at the last 10 years. Well, Luton Town have played 559 competitive matches. They've won 273 of those, drawing 144 and losing 142 times. 950 goals have been scored, 587 conceded. There's been 204 clean sheets as well. 285 matches played at Kenilworth Road, 272 at away grounds and two at neutral grounds, those being the Etihad and Wembley. 126 different clubs Luton Town have faced in the last 10 years, but you could class it as 127 different teams as we played West Brom in the League Cup and the Championship, but they're under 21s in the Checker Trade Trophy. Of all those teams, we've only played 27 once. I'll leave you to work those out. Cambridge were our most popular opponents with 20 meetings between the sides, followed by Mansfield, who we played 17 times, and Newport County AFC with 15 matches between the sides. In the competitions, well, there's been four leagues, the FA Cup, the FA Trophy, the League Cup, the Johnston's Paint Trophy and the Checker Trade Trophy. And don't forget, of course, the playoffs for both the Conference and League Two. Total of 198 players have been used in those 10 years with 14 different goalkeepers. There you go. Something else for you to think about. Can you name them all? Mark Tyler is obviously one of them and he has the most starting appearances for the last 10 years. 279. And he's joint with Jake Howes for the most overall appearances in that decade. 48 ahead of Pelly Rudder Kampanzu, who's on 231. Craig Nelthorpe was the first debut of 2010 on the 23rd of January in the 1-0 win at Gateshead and a further 175 new players have appeared for Luton since then. Matty Pearson recorded 71 consecutive league appearances before the turn of the year. Nine players have featured just once in the 10 years and three of these were starting appearances. We've used 1,457 substitutes using all three subs in 383 of the 559 matches, nearly 70% of the time. There were just four matches where no Luton substitutions were made. 18 players have only featured as a substitute, whilst the most used substitute is Peli Rudder with 48 appearances off the bench, beating Harry Cornick by one appearance. 109 players have scored goals for Luton in the last 10 years, as well as 19 own goals, with Paul Farman scoring two of them, whilst playing for Gateshead in 2010 and Lincoln in 2012. Danny Hilton leads the way with 58 goals, whilst Andre Gray was just one behind on 57 
and James Collins had 53. There are 25 players who have scored just once for Luton in those 10 years. There's been 17 hat-tricks, with those three players already mentioned getting three each. The other players to have scored three in a game are Matthew Barnes-Homer, Luke Berry, Tom Craddock, Mark Cullen, Kevin Gallen, Claude Napka, Amari Morgan-Smith and John Shaw. 37 players have scored a brace in a game, with Jack Marriott managing it seven times without ever making it a hat-trick. Sonny Bradley's strike rate of a goal every 74 appearances is the worst of those who have scored, bettering that of Steve McNulty, who scored every 62.5 games. Tom Craddock with a goal every 1.67 games just beat Andre Gray, who scored in every 1.95 appearances. Ronnie Henry played 87 games without scoring in the last 10 years. That was a record for Luton, with Dan Gleeson on 54 appearances without a goal. The most common scoreline was 1-1, which happened 66 times. A 1-0 win for Luton, 54 times, and a 2-0 victory, 48 times. Luton scored eight goals in a game twice, seven on three occasions, and they've won by one goal margin in 113 of their 273 victories. 80 matches saw a victory by two goals, and 42 matches were won by three goals, with 38 games won by four goals or more. Well, there you go, a quick roundup of stats from the last 10 years. I'll be back soon with another statistical review, by which time Andrew Shinney should have become the 200th player to reach 100 appearances for the Hatters after Elliot Lee became the 199th when he came off the bench against Nottingham Forest. That's it from me. I'll be back soon. Yeah, it was a good decade. We, we shouldn't just let the Bristol City game um, cloud that. And actually, the, the new decade started pretty well at Millwall for 45 minutes. They were... Well, it was one-way traffic, really. Luton, Luton were ahead at half-time, thanks to a Sonny Bradley header from a really well-worked free kick. But like Reg said earlier, we got yeah. to the hour mark and the tank emptied, and it was a case of when are you going to score and how many are you going to score? Mm. And as it turned out, three more. Oh, absolute classic game of two halves, really. I mean, Luton probably should have had a few more mm. in the first half, and that might have served them a bit better. But Mill- Millwall didn't look anything special anyway, did they? They didn't, but they play to their strengths. Yeah. Yeah. And they play so well to their strengths, and they get it out wide, whip it in the box for the big lad. And it worked, and that's what happened. So... Um, uh, you know, <clears throat> I thought that you could tell from the kickoff in the second half that it was a question of when or if uh, Millwall scored, and once they did, it was just you know house of cards stuff, really, wasn't it? Everyone criticised Graham Jones for uh, what he said at halftime, even though no one knows what he said at halftime. For what he said at halftime, and for the fact that Millwall made that sub in the first half that changed their formation, changed mm. the game, and everything. Did you think that the defeat was down to that or purely down to we just ran out of legs? I, I personally think it's the latter. I remember after their second goal, um, which Matty Pearson got disposed on the edge of their box, didn't he? At least two players were down with cramp at the time, Loire, Loire and Alan Sheehan. Mm-hmm. I just think we completely ran out of legs. Third game yeah. in five days, that crazy period. Yeah. I don't think that was a tactical issue per se. So I don't think they did an awful lot different in the second half to what they did in the first half. Yeah. We just had the legs to stop the crosses in the first half. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist on this. I'm not having this constant, everything's Graham Jones's fault. You've got to look at it in the round. And um, yeah, 
you're absolutely right. Reg is right. They, they didn't have the legs. They put in such a shift in that first half, which is why they should have been a few. On a terrible pitch for yeah. championship football. I mean, I don't know what was ploughing through that on New Year's <laughs> Eve, but I mean, cows wouldn't even have gone near it. They should have had a bit more for their effort from the first half, and that may have stood them instead. But, yeah, they just... Um, but you'd have been happy at half-time, though, wouldn't you? I mean, 1-0 yeah, up, yeah, that really looked like beating us. I think the, the other thing that you need to look at as well is... Luton aren't physical enough. Yeah. That Fulham number nine, what's his name? Woods, was it? Mitrovic, the Fulham Mitrovic. number nine. Uh, yeah. It's it like an animal. It's pushing and shoving. And I think um, the first uh, the first goal at Millwall shouldn't have been allowed. Because <clears throat> the, the number nine striker was climbing all over Pearson. Mm. Yeah. Physical. You don't see that from Luton players. You just don't see him getting in. I mean, you see Pelly when he's on the ball, he's got his arm out and he's holding the player off. But when they're attacking the ball and trying to get it back, they're not physical enough. That's another one of the problems that we're having in the championship. Another runaround came a few days later, James, uh, at Bournemouth in the Cup. I don't think anyone really gave two hoots about the game, to be fair. Um, but it wasn't a 4-0 game. To be fair, I mean, actually, how the town didn't go in level, if not in front at half-time, well, it's beyond belief, really. Yeah, 4-0 flattered them, big time. Um, there's another game that we ran out of legs in that last <laughs> half an hour. And it's another game that Harry Cornick had a one-on-one. And I don't do. think he did a lot wrong this time, though, did he? The goalkeeper made a really good save that time. It wasn't like the, um, the one that everyone's criticising him for. Uh, against Preston no. where he kind of got within two minds and didn't really do anything that time mm. he was decisive his shot was excellent the goalkeeper just pulled off a good save sometimes that happens yeah um, uh, yeah yeah but he should still score he should, there should be uh, I think maybe we've spoken about this before that maybe he's a bit too obvious with what his choices that's are that's fair enough Yeah, and maybe a little faint here or use his pace to go round is the is the right option because he'd done so well again hadn't he to get into that position he did it all himself yeah, yeah he, he made the tackle he broke through please score Harry yeah <laughs> I think he's as I said he's improved but now more of the chances he's getting he's getting them on target and the thing is you know if you don't get your shots on target you're not going to score anyway. But if you get them on target and the keeper saves it, the keeper's done his job. Mm-hmm. And you're right about that chance at Bournemouth. I mean, it was a good save by the keeper. Mm. You know, and you're talking about a premiership goalkeeper as well, so Premier League goalkeeper, I should say now. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I think you, Kev, I, I, I don't think he can be blamed for that. I mean, when you look, you look at it now, you, you, as Harry's game... He's more effective now. He's putting himself about a bit more. He's getting involved more. And the, his, the physical side of his game has, has gone up as well. He's got more of a presence. So he's still developing. He's still learning. And I think once he becomes the completed article, he'd be a hell of a player. Mm. Would have been a lovely moment for him to score down there, though. Having, well, he uh, was gutted. Yeah. If you saw him after the game, he, he knew, well, even at half-time, even after that chance, he knew that that, that was because he wanted to go down there and show him that they were wrong to let him go. Um, you know, he's Bournemouth lad, so fair play. But um, they did themselves well in that first half, Luton. 
and uh, the yeah. other turning point of course being the penalty right before half time significant if I get it out significant for two two reasons obviously the penalty was missed and we went on to lose and secondly it was probably Alan Sheehan's last meaningful action in a Luton town shirt yeah. we're going to touch on his career in a minute but wouldn't it have been great if that had gone in as well <clears throat> yeah it, it, it would have been deserved because Luton they were given the runaround for 10-15 minutes and you thought this is going to be a rough day VAR helped us a couple but of times but they were very didn't good it? after that and uh, Donovan Daniels was very good um, he even got a song didn't he his first game he did James, James uh, Collins I, I, knew was, song. I knew he was going to bring this up <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, no they, they really did equip themselves well considering it was 10 changes was it 9 something like that we made more changes <laughs> than they did and everyone told us going into that game oh Eddie Howe don't care for the Cups it's going to be like their third team or whatever and all of a sudden you've got like seven internationals on the pitch and an England international on the bench and you're like Christ alive mm. we've got bloody Elliot Lee playing here what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, but you know it, well I don't it didn't even feel like a collapse no. uh, in the second half it was just I suppose quality just told in the end yeah well they brought on the aforementioned Callum mm. Wilson yeah scored pretty pretty much straight after first touch on it really and then that was that was that Sheehan and uh, someone else had a mix up didn't they, for the third and then the fourth one well, how many deflections did that fourth one need it was no, just exactly. <laughs> it's just a ridiculous uh, thing and we moved on to possibly a, the most disappointing one of the lot actually the Birmingham home game because that was a game that I think most people would have targeted as three points and we produced the shocker of all shockers in the first half I, I thought Birmingham and that are probably the worst side I've seen all season us play against I thought they were so physical and again goes to the well, point just that, that game going, or both both games they were and you said two goal, uh, two goals that were scored in that game both winners for Birmingham they shouldn't have been allowed yeah. the play was climbing all over our defender and the, the, the guy who, who scored for them the winning goal Gardner yeah he shouldn't have been on the pitch no. He yeah, should have no, been gone yep. a long time before that. And this, this is what it is so frustrating. Uh, and it happened in that game, I believe. You know, they com- kept committing foul after foul after foul. It, you know, and you, you could see it's one of those, I bet, we commit a foul, yellow card straight out. Sure enough, what happened? Mm. Glenn Ray committed his first foul, yellow card. Yeah. You know, and, and that is so frustrating because it does make you feel that the officials are against you. You know, so. Um, uh, but Birmingham are another yeah. side that played to their strength. Yeah, and it's clearly get you, it out, whip it into Jukovic, headed goal. Glad you minutes. said his name. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and it, you know, sometimes you just got to do that. And uh, I think I think that, that was such a format. disappointing game at the end. That was. Because I mean, you're you right. Like you could have got points out. of Yeah. That. Oh, well, actually, when we equalised with the penalty. I think Graham Jones said it in the press conference afterwards. If you looked, at, if you stopped it right then and said who's going to win, yeah, so only one said Luton, yeah. yeah. And then Dan Potts decides that you mentioned Dan Potts's mistakes a minute ago, so we'll have, so it's only right that we highlight it here. Decides to think he's Lionel Messi on the halfway line. The good Lord only knows what he's doing. Gets caught. Five seconds later, one two balls in the back of our net. And, and Jones must have been standing there because he brought Potts on, didn't he, at half time? He must have been standing there thinking, what the is going on here because we were all over him at that time there's still yes it's a mistake 
but there's still a lot of time oh, for yeah. them to get to Luton's box and Luton do something about it. And I think the strike even went through Matty Pearson's legs, which pretty much shows you luck, really, doesn't it? It's like, what are you going to do? Because it wasn't the greatest hit shot ever. Um, so, yeah, but, it, you know, he has made uh, quite a few mistakes. And they followed in the next game, Tony, away to... Nottingham Forest another nice ground actually James I don't know what your food was like there but it was nice enough um, for the rest of us and actually another really really good start away from home when you think our away form is shocking there are actually 30 minutes in most of the games where we're actually looking all right and the football that town played in that first half an hour and the goal that we scored in particular nothing was made of it on Sky but Ball started at Saluga's feet, yep. worked its way through the thirds. The ball from Pelly, who Sky actually called Lua Lua, to Potts was fantastic. The cutback from Potts was exquisite, and the finish from Harry Cornick, perfect. Everything that you'd expect from from a Graham Jones side. We're, we're showing it in fits and starts, which is very frustrating because, like I've said it before, we're not clinical enough. You know, um, this again is shows that we're we're not quite there. It is it's the fact that we're getting chances and we're not finishing them. Um, even when a mistake in general is it, it's made in our favour, you know the, their defence makes a mistake, we're not f- finishing them. And, and 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 there's some quite good chances we've had that we we should have scored, you know. But then the opposition one chance clinical finishing bang you're punished. You know, and that shows the difference because continually, yes, we're playing good football in, 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 in fits and starts. We're not making the most of it, but it, it continually seems to be boys against men. Mm. There's been a couple. <coughs> there's been a couple of Pelly bangers in recent times, but I actually really enjoyed that North Forest goal. That's probably one of my favourite goals of the season, to be honest. Just the football from the goalkeeper, which is why Saluka was brought in in the first place. Yep. Through the through the pitch up to Loa Pelly. It was a great goal. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful goal. Um, one of Luton's best of the season, if not the best, I, I would say, just from front to back passing movement. And uh, at that stage, they were really um, flying high against Nottingham Forest and they'd quietened down the crowd. The crowd were booing. That's a good sign. Um, and things were going really well. Um, and then the home side found a 12th person in the form of the referee again. And uh, ended up equalising Tony. Uh, Lua Lua quite clearly fouled uh, in the build-up to their first goal. I've absolutely no idea why Sky was saying that it was you know fifty-fifty or any of that nonsense. It wasn't. It was a clear foul. It was. Uh, and, and okay, I know Sluga made an absolute horlicks of the tame shot at the end of it, but it should not have got that far. It no, should. It, the play should have been stopped. A and been free, free kick. kick. To it was a free kick. And this this keeps happening it's not the first time it's happened yeah. but um, you know it, it, it does make you feel like uh, you're playing 12 at the very least yeah you know, I was having this um, conversation in the press room at half time where some people were saying yeah but it was the way he went down and I said that's irrelevant because yeah. the infringement is the foul and yeah. the game stops that should be the stop how he falls over whether you want to do a cartwheel or whatever is neither here nor there the foul has been made 
Well, you should have gone behind the person who he was arguing with and shoved two hands in his back and seen how he fell over because that's what happened, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Two hands in his back, pushed shoved. him over. It, it wasn't fair. It wasn't, it, it wasn't one of those, oh, was there contact, wasn't there contact? I don't he get pushed this. him over. I don't get where this new interpretation of the law, the law has not changed. If it's a foul, it's a foul. How you fall over from a foul, it's irrelevant. <laughs> I don't yeah. know where this has come in from in the game recently. The, the other thing I'm, I'm not very impressed with this season is the standard of the assistant referees. Yeah, then. You, you, you see so many blatant offsides being missed. You find, uh, you know, people that are onside being flagged for offside. You know, I see it a lot from where I sit in the... In, in the uh, in the main stand at home games, you, you, I'm, I'm dead in line with the edge of the 18-yard box, and you, you see it all the time. You know, you could, and a lot of the time, the, the linesman is in line with you, and, and you're thinking, "How did he miss that? Mm. Or how has he flagged that?" You know, not just for us, but for the opposition as well. And yeah. you, you're like, dreadful. I'd get Sean Massey to do it all. I think she's top draw as a lines person. <laughs> Just um, don't be sitting next to Mike Newell when you say that. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Honestly, I think she gets an incredible amount of decisions right. She does. She does. Yeah, you're right. And she probably has to because of the, yeah, exactly. the way the scrutiny that, that's yeah, on her, yeah. women are treated in the game, which is not, well, another discussion here, it's not right, but... Um, but she, she she comes up with she comes up trumps most of the time. One person who didn't get a lot right for the remainder of that game once again was Mr. Potts, who just got run around by Lolly in that uh, for the first and second goals. Really, well, it's another thing about the, when you're talking about the ruthlessness and clinicalness, clinicalness, <laughs> clinicism. Who's the, who's, who's the journalist <laughs> yeah. around here? Clinically, uh, <laughs> clinical. That word of other teams. Um, it's not just in finishing; it is in targeting weaknesses and I said earlier that a lot of teams have targeted Luke Bolton and in that game they they quickly deciphered that Potts was not having a good time give it to Lolly because we should actually mention Lolly wasn't on Potts's side to begin with he was on Bree's side mm-hmm. and Bree had actually kept him quite quiet to his credit even though everyone you know refuses to give Bree any credit whatsoever but then when they switched him over it was a different ball game mm, yeah and it's, it's just, <clears throat> I don't know whether it's this season and maybe there's a lack of confidence that's come in from just the, the way the results have come. But he's, he's standing off defend, uh, attackers too much. Yeah, yeah. And not, it, it just doesn't seem aggressive enough to deal with those. Um, I think the old adage is if you stick the boot in it, it make the other guy think twice still applies. I mean, it's, it changes because it doesn't mean kick him in the kneecaps anymore. <laughs> it means be a bit more physical. But if you're not that and you're standing off, the, the wingers have, having a field day. Yeah, it's a bit of a disappointing uh, end to what was a pretty bright game. Um, unlike the first hour of the following game, Tony, against Derby, which was... No, nothing happened in the first hour, and then Jesus, it all flew to life for the last uh, half hour, didn't it? I mean, Lord, uh, right at the end, it was it was a great night. It was one of those nights under the floodlight at the Kenny, and uh, I think just the relief that we've got three points as well. I mean, they say it was a game of two hours, but this one yeah. was a game of an hour and then half an hour, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. literally, nothing happened in the first hour of mm. any note whatsoever. Rooney played a couple of nice passes, as you'd have expected. I thought he was well off the pace. 
I've never seen him in the flesh, and obviously you're taking into account the, his age and stuff. I did watch him. I did, did nothing but watch him for the first ten minutes. He didn't touch the ball for seven minutes, and when he did, nothing happened. But it was fair enough. That could happen to any player. But and he was, and yes, he's always been a fairly stocky guy. But I think he's looks a bit bigger than usual. But you can tell he's a better player than Derby, can't you? Because he plays a couple of passes that are good passes, and the strikers are they're just watching on. And I, he's I like, think what, he, he seemed to spend most of his time uh, trying to tell the referee how to referee the game. Yeah, well, you know, to be fair, might, he did nothing but moan and whinge. Well, that's, well, that's he's probably that's got the right scouting. He used to be yeah. in a team that won all the time, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> even it, in my uh, schoolboy playing days, I used to be in a team that won all the time. When you when I wasn't, and I was in a team that lost loads of those times, you get the answer. <laughs> <laughs> he did score the opening goal, though, didn't he? No, albeit via no. a massive deflection <laughs> no. uh, from oh, Donovan Daniels. I cannot believe they've credited that to Rooney. It was never going anywhere near the top bins when he hit it. And no, but it, I think <laughs> the I think the kind of criteria is if it's on target. It's the striker's goal, isn't it? And it was on target. And I know Sluga's had a few mares this season, but he I'm fairly confident he, he couldn't do anything about that. He couldn't do anything have. about that, but I'm fairly yeah. confident he'd have caught it if there wasn't a deflection. It was it that was, tame, it was wasn't it? There wasn't exactly a lot of power in it either, was there? It you was going to be meat and drink that until Donovan Stye got in the way. When that went in, I thought, oh no, here we go again. Well, I did well, yeah, actually, Reg, yeah. because, you know, it was a game that. I, th- I was just I was waiting for it to finish nil nil to be honest and I was waiting for it to finish nil nil at the start of a terrible cold and I don't even know why I went but I'm glad I did now but then all of a sudden that just kicked it right into life and three minutes later we were level with the latest Pelly banger uh, only James Collins will know if he meant that touch to get it back to him or not but what a hit there you go it's, uh, that's what we're not doing um, first time strike bang he's in the net but I think the, the Derby game is quite unique um, because I was harping on about the Middlesbrough game and that was two teams playing football, not pushing people over or shouting at a referee or whatever. It was two footballing teams <coughs> trying to play entertaining football. Derby started off with the bullet boy tactics and then they changed to try and play football. And that's probably what cost them the game. Because Luton were playing better football than they were. Mm. They were knocking the ball about and they got near to the edge of the penalty box and they didn't know what to do with it. They looked good from where we were sitting, passing the ball from side to side and quick passing around. It looked good, but there was no end product. And mm. that's what Luton have been doing um, over, the, over the course of the, the, the games this season. There's just no end product. And if Derby can play like that and not have an end product, it, it, it's no shame on Luton, is it? It was certainly an end product from Pelly Ruddock from uh, that corner. And then, well, not five minutes later, it felt, but we were in front from another corner. And if Daniels was at any fault for the first goal, which I don't think any of us think he was, he sure as hell made up for it with that header to put us 2-1 up. Oh, it was a cracking header. It was a cracking header. And, and the nice thing about it was the fight back. You know, and, and I tell you who made, who's made a difference as well 
Glenreich. Yeah, yeah, we're going to focus made uh, such a difference. To we're going to focus right on him <laughs> yeah. at the request of James uh, shortly. But uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right with that. He didn't know where to go though, did he, Daniels? I think he said in the no. press conference afterwards he didn't score a goal for so long he didn't know how to celebrate, and yeah, he I, just ran back to the halfway line. It was more like James Bree who was celebrating. It was another fantastic ball in actually. I think it's six years, and I've worked out it's something like. Uh, 1150 odd game uh, hour days that he'd not scored a goal for um, have you ever been told you've got too much time on your hands <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> quite frequently um, but it was a wonderful header those sorts of headers are, um, they're sort of just one notch below 25 year 25 yard belters that go in off the post I mean, <coughs> it's wonderful to see and they, they don't see them enough really um, which is a shame because you've got um, James Collins who could probably stick a few in with his head if you supplied him uh, well enough and he didn't have to keep running out to the flanks and um, I don't know why he's out there to be honest half mm. the time but uh, yeah it's a wonderful fight back and I didn't see Derby getting back into it, but I thought they would. Well, when you looked at their bench and saw three ex-Luton players on it, you knew we were going to get haunted somewhere along the yeah. line, didn't you? And um, Chris Martin. And there it was. <laughs> yeah. That's, well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because I didn't see Derby getting back into it, but I just expected they would. So out of somewhere. And... Uh, it's a fairly good finish, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of people I mean, he, were having a go at Bradley for not stopping the cross, but to be fair, no one was having a go at the Leeds person for not stopping the cross when Izzy Brown crossed to James Collins, and it was an identical goal, got a yard, pinged across in, that's undefendable, and mm. good striker heads it in, and that's what happened, wasn't it, really? Yeah. I'll tell you one of the things I liked about that game as, as well, and, and it's the first time, I think, effectively this season is the balls that were being played inside their, the opposing fullbacks for Loire Loire one side and Cornick to get onto and then put back into the middle mm. so it, it, that was a lot better and it, and it looked like Collins was getting back to his normal position that he plays where he's sniffing in, in the six yard box looking for the cross with a bit more luck he could have scored a couple and yeah. it's, and it's uh, interesting that you mention that because that's how the winner came about isn't it and mm. another person who doesn't get a lot of love from Luton fans probably more rightly on this occasion Ryan Tunnicliffe played a lovely ball inside uh, the defender for Harry Cornick who rolled it across and you know it if the ball had got to Collins he'd have scored but nice of the Derby defender to do it for him and um, that away, that home end behind the goal, just the roof lifted off. I thought it was Collins that scored. I didn't quite see it. There's people in the way, players in the way. <clears throat> I didn't see how the ball came over the. I'd have actually given it to Collins. Yeah, I mean, he don't. We we haven't seen enough of it. Other people making those mistakes. It's usually been Luton, so it's nice to see someone have a complete air shot and it going off your shin. And then the comedy moment of the season. The pass back, which was as clear as day a pass back as I've ever seen. And he's and the goalkeeper, he's taken two looks at the referee and he hasn't got an answer about picking it up. And he's thought, fuck it, I play for Derby County, I'm going to pick it up anyway. Mm. So he's picked it up and all hell's broke loose then, and he's gone after the ref. Mate, he's gone after the ref and manhandled him. And to be fair to the ref, he, he actually handled that really, really mm. well. He booked the goalkeeper, who was outrageous. And, he, and then his, the red card was straight out for the bloke. Rooney who got was, one as well. Was, yeah, Rooney got one as well. And the, yeah. the red card was straight out for the bloke who was having a, you know, you aggressive. Can't, you can't, can't lay put hands your hands on the, ref. on the referee. Nah. <laughs> You know, and and the thing you've got to remember is it. it, 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 it I I I can understand him going off on one, 
the player. Oh, he knew that was a pass back. But passing the ball back is not the offence. It's the keeper that commits the offence by picking it up. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, as you say, Kev, it, it was quite clearly a back pass. They hadn't got a leg to stand on, you know, but uh, unfortunately, the free kick. Mm. It's still travelling, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still travelling. It I don't know if it was time wasting or what it was, but it's brilliant, wasn't it? When the red card came out, at least I thought, I think that Luton might win this, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think they might. Before, I just sort of kind of expected Derby would equalised but their head had gone at that point oh well he just lost it completely yeah. that fella didn't he I mean <sighs> and there was all this talk from their manager afterwards that he was fouled come on son pull the other one that was as clear as day a pass back you know it I know it and he knows it mm. move on yeah I mean I was I, I sat there listening to Philip Koku but I don't remember what he said it was that boring well you don't report on that <laughs> do you it's just the Luton News that reports on that but, sort of thing I, what James was saying I, I thought it was great I, I really enjoyed that game Rooney was a big disappointment in that yeah. game but I tell you who actually impressed me for Derby was Wisdom their centre back he mm. looked really good and he, he the old saying about you know, <laughs> his head being like a magnet for the ball he was stopping everything mm. and he looked good playing it out and that was the only way we were going to beat him was down the flanks which is what we did well the amazing thing was Derby looked poor that night and then they went and bopped Stoke 4 0 three days later. And that Bogle, who scored the own goal, scored a worldie in that game. Anyone who says this championship's predictable, you go and watch them two games and tell me it's predictable. It never has been. It, I mean, even at the top, where you expect Leeds should walk it, they yeah, don't lose to Wigan, does not But that, to me, why it's a more exciting and more entertaining league than the Premier League. Yeah, indeed. You yeah. know, pe- people take the Mickey out of Scotland with having only having two teams. But what have we got at the top in the Premier League? That's only same same sort years, of situation. Though, There's only recent years. There, there has been a top six um, for most of the last decade in the Premier League. It's just now that you've got two teams that are so clearly world class and above the other teams you mentioned Leeds messing it up there unfortunately we assisted them with that on Saturday when we gave West Brom three points to go top just looking around the table and I'm probably the only one who can comment on this because I was the only one who was there and um you know, it was another. Uh, yeah, you can still have an opinion. Oh, you yeah. can, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look forward to hearing it. Six Nations rugby, yeah, if you like. I was up in yeah, I, I Paris. I think some England of us lose. listening have probably watched that and want to put that behind us mm. as much as we do most Luton away games. But once again, there was a period in that game where we were absolutely fine. Unlucky with the first goal, own goal from Donovan Daniels. Not that he could do anything about it whatsoever. But then from then on until they scored their second goal 20 minutes from the end, they never really looked like scoring West Brom. And actually, ironically, with what Reg was saying about not shooting as soon as we get the chance, that was the crime that Pelly uh, did in the second half. He had a great chance. Luar Luar done some brilliant work down the left-hand side, pulled it back to him. Just shoot, Pelly, just shoot. Took a touch classy West Brom defence they're always going to block it once he's took the touch mm. and then I don't, I'm sure you guys have all seen it but the most stonewall penalty I've ever seen in my life on Pelly in the second half right in front of the Luton fans usually that's where they're given isn't it right in front of the away fans but not on this occasion old Dopey he was staring right at it mm. no 
No I think uh, it's just a shame we haven't got Lyle Taylor playing for us because every time we get a penalty, wouldn't we? <laughs> Some would argue it's a shame we ain't got him playing for us for a number of reasons, but that's certainly one of them. That is, that is for sure. And then, lo and behold, West Brom go down the other end. They get a cross in. And we all know what happens when the cross comes in. Ends up in the back of our net. And um, I think you can say that for both West Brom games that there was, there, there was something there for Luton in both of them. Yeah, well, in the first, the, in the home game, it was all us for 45 minutes, yeah. wasn't it? Then they brought the cavalry on, and Christ, did they bring the cavalry yeah. on. They never even gave us the ball in the second half, yeah. but they were not like that at their place. They were nowhere near that side. Yeah. That Pereira um, was still suspended, and a couple of others. But they, they signed someone towards the end of the transfer window, Robinson, and he ran the game. And I don't think, though, long-term... That's bad. That, you know, it's a result to dwell on too much, is it? I'm sure Graham Jones would have liked more because I, they've got an absolute hatred of him up there. I could let me tell you. Yeah. But um, I don't think it's one you could realistic ta- realistically target. No. I think if you were watching the game, you're kind of disappointed that we lost. But going up there, if you said you're going to lose two nil, you probably won't. yeah, you're probably right. That's probably what we're going to do. I don't think anybody counted on getting the points at West Brom, did they? So. No. So all in all, a sort of disappointing time on the pitch uh, with results. But there is encouragement, isn't there, with mm. periods of the football that we've played? There's been encouragement since Glenn Ray's come back. Well, funnily enough, agreed, you're, you're absolutely eager to discuss Glenn Ray. So let's do that now. Let's focus more on him because you're absolutely right. I mean, he came back in that Bournemouth game, didn't he? That was his first sort of game back. But his first real sort of... Well, it, involvement was Forest away, wasn't it? And, it's um, like having a new player. Yeah, you know. And it, it, uh, well, it goes back to the point that I think Reg was making that there's not um, enough aggression, and that is all he is really. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's don't get me wrong; he can play a good pass, but what he is, he's a an organizer, a, a rabble rouser, somebody who's going to stick the boot in and well, say, he's a "Spoiler, is not he? getting past me." And he's bloody good at it. Mm. And he's a leader. Yes. And we do not have any of them on yeah. the football pitch. It's like I said previously, a previous podcast, um, he kept Alan McCormack out of the team last season. Yeah. And, until he got his injury. He was wonderful last season and until that point. Brilliant. Yeah. Up until he got his injury. And I, I just couldn't believe that they didn't give Alan McCormack at least a one-year contract for this year. Because that's what we've missed yeah. in every game we've played. We've missed someone that could put the foot on the ball and say, hang on, I'm controlling this game. All the other teams have got them. If you watch the midfield players, they've all got a number four. Mm-hmm. All of them have got someone that can put the, fall, uh, the foot on the ball, stop the game, uh, give their team a chance to regroup, you know, even if they give a foul away. The team, know, all right, we regroup now. And you could watch them moving into their positions. We haven't had that. Now we've got it with, yeah. with Glenn Ray back. What Glenn Ray also does is he frees Pelly up to go f- and do his thing in f- further forward areas, yeah. as we saw against Derby. I, I, I was just going to say as that, As we Kev, saw against yeah. West Brom. Because if you look earlier in the season, Graham Jones has tried different players in that defensive midfield role. Pelly, Tunnicliffe, Butterfield. Butterfield yeah. Craney. And, and, yeah, Craney. And they haven't had that impact whereas Glenn has come in and he's done that he's organising it and now we, we've seen more effective because we've got Pelly where he's good getting the ball and driving forward mm. yeah and it's you know you know what what Pelly's got you know he's, he's got an amazing skill in his locker and the, the, the effort and everything he puts in but he's still got one or two 
fateful mistakes that he makes. But now that he's further forward and Glenn is in front of that back four, you know those mistakes are not as costly as they were before. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I, he actually reflected on that after that derby game, didn't he, Pelly? Yeah. Um, mentioned about how good it is having Glenn Ray yeah. mopping up behind him. I mean, the other thing, and I don't know how you can quantify this at all in any way, and I don't necessarily buy it when clubs are in the market for managers and they get some old boy that's been at your club because he knows the club. I think that's largely bollocks. But in terms of the playing side of it, Glenn Ray has got a love for this club. He's demonstrated that by being in the crowds and um, getting in amongst it and really learning what Luton is about. He's a, obviously, he's a Brighton boy, but he's, he's an adopted Lutonian now. And I think it really does sort of speak volumes, really. And he would have been sat on the sidelines last season as they did what they did, just gutted that he couldn't play because that's all he wants to do and he wants to get out there and he wants to tackle people <laughs> and uh, it was that it was um, I think it was in the derby game where he just went through a player uh, with a slide tackle fair as you like but the aggression was there and it it just makes it will make any player just think oh hold on um, we're going to have a tough time here well he's infectious isn't he no. Glenn Ray if you speak to Glenn Ray at any time like you say, his passion for Luton Town, about Luton Town, this is his passion for the club just shines through. I mean, I've sp- me and you spoke to him at the civic reception, didn't we, in yeah. the um, in the town hall corridors, and um, he was gutted that he couldn't be involved, but you, you could tell the love for the club that he's got. Uh, there was an interview after the Forest game as well where he would not let the three counties reporter tell him that we we're going <laughs> to get relegated or anything like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, everyone that you speak to around the club they love him mm. social media tweets about him when he's returning all through his rehab he's absolutely loved mm. even though like you say he's not one of strictly one of our own he kind of is because he's he yeah that's what he's I mean, adopted but, yeah he, he didn't he, he you know he got his he came up through the brighton ranks but he got his chance at Luton and he took it he's gone he's actually um apart from if you just look at performances you can tell off the pitch like you say what we the the Glen Ray we spoke to at the civic reception was a whole different person from when he first joined he was a kid then shy he was wasn't shy he, yeah. and he was a kid and he didn't quite know what to say and now he's a man and he loves Luton and he just wants to play football for Luton and we're and hopefully going to um, bring that to you on this podcast between now and the end of the season because I have got cool. a request in for us to do a podcast mm. with him, but so it, it, it's great because he, he, he's bought into the whole club ethos, hasn't he? Yeah, and it, it's great to see that because you, you you know last season um, you'd go to away games and you'd see him there doing his Grizzly Adams impression, and you'd see him and uh, he, he, so much time for the fans as well. You know, he'd, he'd, you'd swear if he wasn't a pro, he'd be on the terraces himself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just one question: Why is he not captain in this football team? I don't know. I, I think maybe he will be in the long I term. I think so as well. Yeah. I think he will as well. But even last Saturday, Collins was captain, not Glenn Ray. Mm. No, no Sonny Bradley last Saturday. I think James Collins was captain. Mm. Not that I have anything against Collins being captain. I think uh, Graham Jones is fairly loyal and you have to earn these things with him. And Which is fine, but when Bradley wasn't there... 
Maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe there mm. is nothing into it. But either way, we are all so delighted it, that Glenn Ray's back. It doesn't, you it doesn't might really find that Jones likes a senior player as his, yeah. as his captain, and, and Collins is a more experienced pro than, than Glenn is. Yeah. It, re- yeah. it really shouldn't matter about who's right. actually got the armband because he's captain with two, he's a leader. Yeah, he is. And it doesn't matter whether, what he's got on his arm, he'll do that job. And he has, and he's, it, it feels like he's lifted the club and the supporters a bit and it feels well, since, like since he's been back on. we've put in three good performances yeah. haven't we I know we tired against Forest, but the, the, the performances have been all, have been alright there haven't been too many individual mistakes we're looking good it's good to have him back yeah, it's wonderful to have him back oh, yeah, so, and, and so rapidly he's got into the position where he's first name in the team sheet yeah. for me yeah he just it, he now gives you a chance he's, the, the next step I guess will be to try and get clean sheets and he could be integral to that yep because it it gives that level of protection in front of a back four which are clearly lacking in confidence and another player who's given us a chance because he's in really good form at the minute is Kazenga Lua Lua oh god yeah now I've absolutely no idea how that bloke can walk after a game of football because he must get kicked up in the air 25 times in every single game of football he says he likes it well then there's some sort of weirdness there isn't there because it it came up on the telly they all do whether it it was on Quest or whether it was on Sky or what it came up a caption most failed player in the football league this year not the championship yeah. most failed player in the football league that says an awful lot about his ability well Derby ro- were rotating players into that position to kick him up in the air there must have been a dozen of them for the starting 11 and the substitutes they all went after him yeah. one by uh, one can, by you one you can see it? generally the opposition are, are terrified of him as soon as the ball goes out to that flank that he's on there's two players on him I mean, I was convinced Derby were going to get a man sent off. I didn't expect it yeah. to be for manhandling the referee after a back pass. Do you, do you know what I say for that? For what you've just said there about Derby sort of rotating, that is a tactic. Yeah, man absolutely. City, man City do that. Yeah, no, that, no, no. And that's a, sav- that's a level of savviness that Luton haven't quite got yet because know, sometimes a little tactical foul yeah. might have saved them a couple of I know of I goals. said it as a kind of jokey thing, but there's no doubt that when, when one got a yellow card, he was moved inside and another one went out there. And yeah. Birmingham were the same. I have no idea how Birmingham didn't lose a man against him as well because, you know, I mean, even going right away back to Leeds, Leeds were at it as well when he came on. Because he, he commits defenders. He goes at you and... It's very hard to know where he's going to go. I don't think he knows after time. <laughs> <laughs> I think the only thing, you know, if there's a negative Loire-Loire, it's just the end product, isn't yep. it? Mm. That That's the thing. Yeah. Although but it's hard to have an end product when you're on the floor because you've just been kicked yeah, up true, by some true. six foot oaf. But he does ca- cause havoc in opposition defences. You know, Particularly the, in home games as well. Mm. And with four of our next six at home, he's going to be a big player. It's going to be a big period, full stop, for for the survival chances I think <clears throat> you target most of those points at home just because of the shocking away run yeah. that, that has been on if somehow they can turn that around and start picking up points in the row then you'd definitely be rocking but yeah uh, there's a lot of emphasis on these home games and it if he as he is as we've seen as he plays well in home games there's a lot um, <laughs> pinned on his ability and now obviously the return of Izzy Brown mm which we'll come on to in a little while. So, yeah, Loire Loire, another one who's having a massive impact. Graham Jones. I think it's fair to say he's split opinion and Luton fans. Um, if you look on social media after a win, nothing's said about him. If you look on social media after a defeat, he's the worst thing ever to have 
Graceless Football Club. I'll go to you first, James, because yep. you're a more neutral view on this. What's the reality of it? I'm absolutely bored to tears of anyone that just jumps down his throat. It's all Graham Jones' fault. It's He's not perfect. Is he? I'm not saying he is, and he would have made mistakes. But to say that everything is down to him, his tactics, or he's somehow lost the dressing room, when every oh, player I've spoken to yeah. says, no, it's not, we're together and everything. It's just... Um, it's uh, it's sort of really terrible amateur punditry just to go, that's his fault, get rid of him. It's not going to change the situation. The situation is that, as Reg said at the start of this podcast, you've got a very green championship squad. A squad that is um, not even the same amount of money as Alexander Mitrovic at Fulham. A squad that mostly hasn't um, competed at its level. Uh, in fact, most of them have been knocking around the, the lower reaches. Luton have got promoted twice. Probably the last promotion none of us saw. We thought, uh, if you think back to the last start of the last season, we all thought consolidation in League One would be lovely. But you take it where you can get it. On top of that, they've lost two Premier League quality fullbacks who were the fulcrum of. Um, Luton attacks and that's gone and they've had to try and find a new formula with what they've got with um, two fullbacks they've got on loan so here's a point you can say well maybe he's got this wrong um, Bree hasn't been great as a left back he's been better as a right back recently as I've already said in this podcast I don't think that Luke Bolton is a fullback and I don't think he ever will be a fullback I think he may be a winger um, and maybe he's got that wrong or maybe that's what Manchester City have said you could have him as long as you play him there maybe we don't know so like I say he's not perfect he's not perfect but to just say everything is his fault is boring <laughs> it's utterly boring and um, uh, you don't understand the, the, the fullness of the game um, to just continually say that about everything if you've got a specific gripe about him fair enough explain it but mostly you're hearing these things on social media you don't have enough space to explain it and they couldn't anyway because they just want to blame it on Graham Jones Tony you're a man of the people why don't Luton fans or a lot of Luton fans like him I think there's a number of reasons um, I think it goes along with the fact that um, over the past three or four years um we've had a lot of success we've won far more matches than we've lost and I think supporters have got into that habit of expecting that um, you know they're, they're not um, looking again at the bigger picture they're looking they need a scapegoat I feel some people do they've got to take into account a number of factors that he's been a number two, and granted he's been a number two at quite a high level, but this is the first time he's in charge. And, yeah, he is going to make mistakes. He's not going to be perfect. And I, I you know, if you look back in history, um, Manchester United fans wanted Ferguson out. Mm. It was only that cup game against Forest that they won he'd have been gone 
and he's he's their most successful manager in their history. I can, and I, I think I've mentioned this before. I think back to when David Pleat first became our manager. We almost got relegated in his first season, and it took him a little while to get the team round to how he wanted to play, what he wanted them to do um, as part of his plan, and it it took him time to do that. But he actually built probably one of the most exciting teams we've ever had mm-hmm. who took what is now the championship by storm only losing four games all that season that we got promoted to the old division one so I, th- I think he has got a lot to learn I think people jump on his press conferences I, 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 th- I think he's an honest guy I think perhaps sometimes he's too honest for his own good I, I, I certainly think there's a, a a case for maybe he could do with a little bit of media training. No, I think it's great. I mean, I, I'm there speaking to him most of the time, and but there's a couple of points that keep coming up about it, and it is that um, he constantly talks about money. He doesn't. He gets asked about money because mm. I realise, as I've said in this podcast, just how important money is. And I wish it wasn't. Yeah. I really wish yeah. it was about the team you put on the pitch and the team you assemble. Um, and I wish it wasn't about money, but it is about money. It, and yeah. that, it, uh, if it wasn't about money, um, then Man City wouldn't be, until this season, they wouldn't have won everything in sight. But it is. They've spent half a billion pounds on defenders because mm. they they could. And so they're... That's, that's the Man City I'm I, 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 Yeah, I, I think, I think he need, he, he, he's got to be given the time to do it. Mm. You know, and, and that's the trouble in modern football. Supporters want success immediately. <laughs> and you see a certain amount of these supporters. The thing is, they make assumptions... And it's all pure speculate, speculation. Yeah. It must be this. It must be that. Or I would imagine this. Yeah. Or I would imagine that. Yeah. Uh, and, and none of it's actually based in in any fact. I mean, earlier this season, Kev, we, we interviewed him. We did. Didn't we we had him on the podcast and, and he never he, mentioned budgets once. No, he, he, you couldn't wish to meet a nicer guy. And mm. at the time, I... I made the comment afterwards that I could have actually sat and listened to him talk about football all day. He's that sort of guy, and that's the same for me. But I mean, uh, he knows what he's talking about, and he knows he knows what he wants. But the trouble is, he hasn't got the full tools at the moment to do him. So effectively, he's he's operating with one hand behind his back. Yeah, it's the same. I mean, I've covered every manager Luton since Newell, and he's one of the best people to speak to about football his knowledge is 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 up there he's, a, he's very good to talk to going back to that other uh, point about press conferences that people keep bringing up is the Izzy Brown quote I'm glad you was going yeah. to do this because yeah. I was going to mention that myself and, and again it's just so boring they're like well he shouldn't say it but it's true and it's been proven true that's yeah. my you wrote an article for my website Lutonia.com yeah. by the way um, about why it's true and yet he gets pelters for saying it so in effect he can't win um, you know now that his brow is coming back everyone's going oh we've got, we've got a chance obviously Glenn Reyes we've just spoken about it but if you're saying to me that Sonny Bradley is sitting there going, oh, God, he's talking about Izzy Brown again. Oh, I'm not, that's, that's me done in. My confidence is gone. It's nonsense. Because <laughs> Izzy, Izzy Brown can, is the only player in that squad that can do things that he can do. 
and there's no one else to do it. He's not but, taking other people's places. And, and I mean, all you've the used, players understand that. Yeah, exactly. You've used Sonny Bradley as a point there, but I've spoken to Andrew Shinney about this away from podcasts and everything else coming out of the training ground and things like that, and I won't divulge what people say to me. But I will say he's intelligent enough to appreciate a player who is better than he is and and he knows that it, that Izzy is that and and if he knows it he's a fairly up and at it member of the squad isn't he he's clued on he's a straight talker as well he's, yeah. he's clued on he knows the score we had him on podcast with McC- yeah. McCormack last year if he appreciates that you can be certain the rest of them know that Izzy Brown is the best player in yeah. that squad so th- they've got um, if you're talking about the fans they've got all the players that will think one way you can't say that they all will There's, I can't say that for sure maybe one of them or two of them think that but this is not the reason for them losing <laughs> but he is the reason or one of the reasons why, they will, win why they will win hopefully more games from now on so to say that at a point where he was coming into the squad off 18 months worth of injury and thriving and being the best player on the pitch is that's when he said it he didn't say that when he got injured at Brentford and went oh god it's it's just that he got in injured at Brentford and people went oh well that's it now then he said that already and now it's happened but oh, it was he, he true got jumped on for not taking him off and, and yeah, if he'd have taken him off they'd have been moaning I mean that, that point is utter nonsense to yeah. me it's like how can you possibly predict that yeah um Yes, they were 5 nil down and Izzy Brown went off on a run that was going to go nowhere. The hamstrings go. You can't predict that. It's just... It's, it's very frustrating. I mean, just to use his point on Izzy Brown factually, he has missed 10 weeks of the season, by and large, if you think that he came in after it started and, and his injury. He's still the third leading chance creator in the division. Exactly. And if you go minutes per chance, he's the leader in the division. Yeah. Yeah. And we're bottom of the table and he is the leader leading chance creator and he created two more on Saturday in the twenty minutes that he played. He is the he, he, whether people like it or not, whether people like Jones to say it or not, everyone at that training ground knows Izzy Brown is the best footballer at this football club. Yeah. And I put him in my um, team of the decade, mm. even though he's barely played. And uh, I think as many your games. social media actually quotes that he's one of the best players you've seen at Luton. Yeah, and people jump down my throat then because they they don't listen. They either don't listen to say what uh, Graham Jones says, or they didn't read what I put in the tweet. And they were going, well, "That's utter nonsense." How old are you? That was one of them. You, you clearly can't have seen X X X player. And I'm like, well, I don't, it doesn't matter how old I am. I've told you that I've seen that as one of the best players, it's my opinion. It's Doesn't your matter social media you page, it's, it's your opinion, opinion, yeah. I mean, I got pelters on your art, on the yeah. article I did on your on your website, from my I mean, opinion. the fact is, I didn't I didn't see your likes of um, uh, Ricky Hill on that. I was not old enough. I might have saw him at the end of their careers when I was younger, but I can't remember that. I wasn't analysing the game in the same way I was It's an a adult. different game then yeah. than now anyway, isn't it? But, I mean, I don't think anyone could argue that Izzy Brown's the best footballer that Luton have had this century. I think you've got to go a long way to beat Ricky Hill. But, that, yeah, um, but he, that was last what, century, what, though, what, wasn't what it? What I would say about that is I think Izzy Brown's... The, the, the nearest I've seen to come close to that sort of skill level that Ricky Hill had um, but the, the, we've had other skillful players since then Scott Oakes Roy Wegerly 
you know, but yeah, certainly I'd agree. He, he's one of the most skillful players we've had at the club for mm. a long time. But at the end of the day, he's not our player, is he? Yeah. I think what you're missing, <coughs> what the club's missing as well, is um, since the success that the club's had since we come out of the conference, there's been one player on that bench or one person on that bench that hasn't been there this year, and that's Mick Arthur. I just think Mick Arford has been so influential in the success that we've had in the last two years as Nathan Jones number two and then taking over when Jones done his walkabout up the uh, M1 um, and then we all knew that Graham Jones is going to take over this season Mick Arford knew that Mick Arford made it public knowledge on many occasions that he didn't want the job so I don't know whether Graham Jones took that to say that he didn't. Uh, Mick Arthur didn't want to be his number two, or whether Graham Jones just got Gary Brabin in because of his experience. Whether he's a good manager or not, everybody says they hate him. I weren't particularly impressed with the football he used to play when he was our manager. But you don't get to be a manager of any football club if you're no good anyway. Um, you've got to have a certain amount of knowledge. To, to be able to be a manager of any football club whether it's a, a non-league low, lower level league or, or Manchester City or Liverpool if you if you don't know what you're talking about if you don't know what you're doing you don't last very long so Graham Jones hasn't had the Mick Arford that Nathan Jones had and that the Luton Town fans have had during all the success and he's doing it on his own Mm. And of course, there was Steve Rutter as well, who, uh, who, who left and he as wanted, well. he wanted him, but yeah. he got a better deal financially and for his family. He's good. I Adam's don't not think a lot anymore, is he? Rutter's not at Athens anymore. I think not? you've got no, to... I, you I know, do think that a lot of the <laughs> hatred towards Jones comes from the fact that Brabin's his number two, and surely yeah. that's hatred yeah. towards Brabin, you know. I, mean, I think you know. Brabin's got an excellent reputation as a coach. Yeah, he does. And, and, you know, also, and, and let's not forget, he... He was so close to getting us out of the conference yeah. as well. Yeah, he was. Well, we won't go back there. We no, no, I know. But, he was. but I, and also, I, of course, he was part of getting us out of the conference because he signed Andre Gray as well, didn't he? Um, you know, uh, who knows where we would have been if that transaction hadn't happened. But, but seeing as we're talking about signings as well, the, the other point is that they pin every signing on Graham Jones. Well, he's part of a committee that decides it, and one of those key members is Mick Harford so yeah. you can't have it both ways Mick's either a legend or he's he is a legend but he's also having a hand in these transfers as well so it's not all Graham Jones yeah we're going to go uh, onto the transfer window in a minute but I just want to wrap up on this Graham Jones bit tactically is there an issue with him no, no as in I wouldn't say so. as in the tactics he adopts forget the fact that the players aren't good enough to no. compete at the level that they're competing at is there a problem with the tactics that he has? He largely keeps the diamond, doesn't he? Yeah, you know, I don't think so because, you know, I, 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 he's certainly more astute tactically wise than uh, Nathan Jones. Was. Yeah, absolutely. We can switch um, formations yeah, when and, and, oppositions and do. It, it's like everything. You've got to remember that uh, these managers—they're only human, and they make mistakes like the rest of us do. And. I, in the main, look at his tactics. Of, I think they've been okay, but there's times when he's got it wrong, and he's held his hands up and said, "I've got it wrong." Yeah. You know, but I, I just like I quickly go back to the the, the supporters. I, I think supporters are 
I think when Kinnear said there were donuts, I think that a lot of that's turning out true. When you, when you see some of them, they have no understanding of how contracts work in football. It's always get rid, get rid. You, you can't. If you've got a player on a two-year deal and it's three months into the deal, you can't. It's going to cost you money to do that. No, it's not just and that. Then when, though, I, when you see some of the names, I want this manager, Neil Warnock. I no way. I'd never let him. <laughs> 100 miles of Luton Town. Be a good fundraiser, though, having Neil Warnock, wouldn't it? Because with him would come well, Kevin you know, Blackwell, and you yeah. could sure as hell raise some funds lobbing things at him. But in that respect, and th- let me make this clear, I'm not saying, for the next thing I say, I'm not saying you do not love your club. I'm not saying you do not support your club. But there is a massive element that you do not understand the club or football when you say things like, well, get rid and get Mick Harford in. There's two things there. Mick Harford has turned, he's turned his legacy full circle around <laughs> last season, what he did. Mick Harford will never come back in to do that managerial job because well, he said at the time he didn't really want he to. He said it on more than one occasion. He, he said quite he's, categorically he does not yeah. want he the sat, job. He sat in two podcasts. He, s- he stepped into the breach in 2008 when he didn't really want to because nobody else wanted to take that job because it was a poison chalice and he must be respected for that and he stepped into the breach last year and got them to the position that, that, that we're in now and he's he's done his time and he's um, he's completed the story there for man- managerial managerial wise Mick Harford he's got a job now to do at the club and he should be respected for that and the other point of that particular argument is that 2020 wanted Graham Jones from the minute that Nathan Jones left and they courted him and they wanted him and they were the number one target so we're led to believe you really think that 2020 you're just going to go well, get rid of him then because <laughs> there's a there's a they back their own decision and they there could be an element also of losing face I think that's a side element to me but they've they've done their research and they've backed this guy and if you take into the account all the other things like the fullbacks they've gone and uh, they've gone up division when they got Graham Jones probably he and 2020 expected to be in league one this season nobody could have seen what happened at the second half of last season but they are where they are and you've got to try and deal with it so there's so many factors that go into it but like you say they just go and i don't know whether it's emotion or i think anything, in fairness, they just go get him out in fairness to graham jones i i've said it before i think he's probably the most experienced person that we've had as a manager in the last, I don't know, 40, 50 years. But in fairness to him, I've been lucky enough to go down and watch him train. If anybody gets an opportunity to go and watch Luton Town train down at the brace, then go. And you'll see exactly what goes on. And it isn't a case of having poles stuck in the, in the ground and dribbling the ball around them. That's 90 mile an hour football training, playing football, changing tactics, moving players around they don't get time to pick a bottle of water up and have a mouthful it's so intense the training and when them players are finished we went and and had a cup of coffee they go and get changed all them players come out and talk to you Graham Jones come out and talk to you it's, it's a fantastic thing to go and see if you ever get the chance to go and watch them train you'll see what Graham Jones is all about hmm without a doubt 
which is go. good considering he's lost the dressing room so um. he, he's not the dressing room that anybody who says that just doesn't get it just they just don't get it well, i mean you mentioned not getting it a minute ago with regards to wanting MacArthur to replace graham jones more of a concern for me is the people who still want nathan jones to replace him oh, it's yeah. another article oh, i've written yeah. on your website yeah. and i'll never ever understand it as long as i live but hey well you do you you, you, you boiled it down to the actual records. Yeah, I gave you the facts. They've had both had in the championship, and Graham Jones has got a better record than he has in the championship. Which is where you've got to judge it. Exactly. If and you want to stay in the and championship. And he's not run off uh, at the first club that batted an eyelid that in, no. has he? Mm-hmm. he? No, no, not at all. It. It's common sense, though, guys, and unfortunately, it's a, there's a percentage of our support that don't do common sense. <laughs> no, this is true. Uh, January's over. Chaps, I'm sure you've realised it. Um, Where's Christmas gone? And that's the end of, uh, of of the transfer window. I'm going to come on to the three players that we signed during the transfer window and get your thoughts on it in a minute. But just before uh, we, we go on to that, Alan Sheehan left on the last day of the transfer window. I don't think anyone really saw it coming, albeit I think most people thought his days as a player were kind of numbered. He can't play the left-back position no more in the centre-back's role. He, was, he, he dropped behind too many people. But what a servant for this football club, Tony. Oh, you, you can't fault the guy. A one um, man as well as a yeah. servant. I think what summed it up for me, um, because the League One winning season last year, um, they come out of the side, I can't remember if it was for injury or whatever, and Pearson and Bradley came in and kept him out of the team. And I thought, yeah, January transfer window, Sheen's going to go. He didn't. He stayed there. And what summed it up for me was when we won 1-0 at Bradford and the players came over to us as on an awful, dreadful night. <coughs> and Sheen was between Bradley and Pearson. He was clapping and then he just started pointing from Bradley to Pearson to back and clapping and getting us all to appreciate them because that that was the thing with Sheehan it, it, it wasn't just I'm not in the team or, I'm not happy whatever he was yeah, everybody every one of those players wants to play in a game but he was so behind that team and part of it mm. that um, you've got to respect the guy for that he, he, he was a, a leader and um I think all the players will turn around and say that they owe him a debt. Wasn't just a leader, James. He was a winner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All duck or no dinner. <laughs> yes. Was the, was the saying, wasn't it? And thankfully, whilst he was here, there was plenty more duck than no dinner. Well, exactly. Yeah, wonderful lines of that. He was a big, big presence in the dressing room as well. He was club captain. Um, and all throughout that run, I think even Mick Harford said it, that the dressing room keeps itself together. And he was one of them people that were... Uh, you know, key to that. It was him and Alan McCormack, wasn't it? That, yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he, you could sense you could sense that from the way he spoke to people. He's a he's a people person, and he, he'd get you on his, his side. And well, we brought you him on this podcast last season, didn't we? And yeah, uh, a delight to have one. And just his comments when he parted. Um, that was a wonderful message, wasn't it? Yeah, it says. There's two massive points in that that um, really stood out for me. Is him saying the four years he spent at Luton was his favourite time as a footballer. It shows you what that club is about. And then also when he urged fans to get behind Graham Jones and the team, which speaks to the other point we just spoke on the previous topic of there's no 
And there's no way that that dressing room has been lost to Graham Jones. You know what I mean? He didn't even play hardly. Under, under uh, he's he's actually someone who could have been. Yeah, he could have stuck the boot in. Yeah, he didn't. So enough class of that. act, enough class of act, Alan Shea. Yeah, he is a class act. Wonderful left peg, wonderful mm. left foot. That goal he scored at Cardiff in the uh, Car Carling Cup, where it was Carabao Cup, Carabao mm. Cup. Mm. the Rumbelows Cup. You won't be welcome in Thailand <laughs> if you don't know Carabao Cup. I tell you. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, always welcome back at our football club. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's just what he does now. Whether he goes and plays lower down the leagues, or whether he, I think he'll be a coach. Oh, and he'll be a mighty good coach yeah. as well, won't he? I mean, you could just whenever you've spoken to him whenever you've listened to him whenever you've watched him you just know he'll be fantastic uh, did well, you see the, the video the YouTube video that the club circulated of all of his goals there were some yeah. there were some beauties in I, there I, I there? think if he if he goes to a League 2 club yeah you know I, I think whoever job. signed him will pick up a, a fantastic player yeah yeah absolutely great servant oh, three points actually because he in that Parting comments. He mentioned about the um, Notts County away game, the final day of the season in League Two, which is one of my Your magic moments of the decade mm. as well. And I didn't even clock it when I was writing that article that it would have been really special for him because he used to be a county player, loved there as well, mm. loved by Luton. Um, and that wall of sound uh, at the end would have been wonderful, like both sets of fans singing his name. Um, and I think he's probably been a fan favourite in most of the clubs he's been at because he's just all or nothing sort of a player, isn't he? And he's also, he contributes to that nice style of football, doesn't he? You know, he's not banging it long. He's picks his pass out, cultured left foot. He was the first signing of Nathan Jones and it ushered in that sort of football, didn't it? So, yeah, fair play. Yeah, no fair play to him indeed. Absolutely brilliant servant for the football club. And like Tony says, welcome back anytime. And we really, really, really thank him for his time with with us on this podcast and wish him the very best for the future. We also wish three players the best for the future because they've arrived at the football club over the course of the month. First one to arrive... Peter Chioso who's he I mean, you may ask uh, right back from Dunstable well I said from Dunstable from Hartlepool via Dunstable back in the day and would you believe Pelly Rudder cousin <laughs> now if he turns out to be half as good as him I mean, well, we won't have too bad a player on our hands Tony yeah I hope he's not as noisy as Pelly um, yeah uh, loved by Hartlepool yeah absolutely Hartlepool I've not fans come highly recommended and by so Dunstable as well by all yeah. accounts yeah and uh, he certainly his first uh, interview came across really well yeah you know seems like a well adjusted young man um, one for the future I mean it would be totally unrealistic to expect him to go in straight into the team and compete in the championship I'm sure if that happened he'd give it a good go <laughs> mm. But having seen videos of him playing, he looks like what we need. Well, there's a tackle there, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, he, yeah. every every clip I've seen, he's flying into a tackle, Glen Ray style. It was, and he, he he looks like another young, hungry player who wants to make it in the game. And, uh, and that's quite, the thing. Yeah, I, I wonder whether he's sort of been signed with one one eye on the League One, perhaps. Um, and also a bit of pressure on him because they said he's like he's, he's the long-term replacement for Jack Stacey. Uh, big boots to fill, obviously. But um, if you can get up and down as as well as Jack Stacey, they'll have a player on on, on, his hand, on their hands there. It just shows you there are players out there. Yeah, yeah. And and that's probably what 
I mean, Luton fans were really happy with that when he signed because, um, you know, Graham Jones was saying he wanted um, championship quality, and that's absolutely right. You do need some championship. You can't just pack it full of young um, uh, players that are from the lower league and hope they make it. It's pie in the sky, and it? you've got it's got to be a bit of a balance. But obviously, these are priced out of the market for decent championship players. At that point, I mentioned about. Um, you know, your average championship player sat on a bench is getting more than Luton's top earner. It doesn't mean they're going to want to leave the bench at whatever club mm. they're at to come and play for Luton or at the bottom of the league. So yeah, you're asking someone to take fifty percent pay cut, basically, on them facts. Exactly. Do you know what I'm hoping for him? What's that? That he can at least interpret for Pelly. <laughs> Pelly's become a lot better at that, though, hasn't he? He's, he's in your after-match press conferences nearly every game. He's playing so well at the minute. He's, yeah, he's stepping up, yeah. Uh, one man who I've heard in an after-match press conference who sounded nothing like what I expected because he was billed to me as an American international was Cameron Carter-Vickers, who signed from Spurs on loan till the end of the season. Uh, we wanted him in the summer mm-hmm. when I think that was pretty well-known when he went to Stoke. James, you can have this one first. Centre half, which was exactly what we needed, I think. Yeah. Um, no need, disrespect to Sonny Bradley or Matty Pearson whatsoever. Just need a bit of backup. Yeah, uh, a bit of backup. A bit of competition yeah. as well. Um, you know, Matty Pearson has played every game, hasn't he, in the Championship? Yep. I thought he might miss the West Brom game because he took a bit of a knock, but somehow it was Sonny Bradley that missed it um, instead. But uh, it, it is needed. The, they've got that quality that he wanted in that position I've, um, America International <laughs> with an Essex accent <laughs> yeah well I, I don't know how that works out but uh, <laughs> his grandmother went to New York once or something isn't it? probably it's like Peter yeah. Kioso being Irish isn't it no he was born in Ireland oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah it's uh, it, it was a position that was uh, desperately needed I think most people kind of wanted a couple of other positions as well um, left back being one maybe some striking options but uh, to be fair if you can't get defenders to come into the club you ain't getting strikers of a championship quality um, and you've got Izzy Brown coming back uh, Danny Hilton coming back Danny Hilton coming back I mean Glenn Ray is back as we've said all through <laughs> this podcast they're effectively three new signings aren't they do you know what if if before the end of the season and Luton's still got a chance you've got Glenn Ray on the pitch and Danny Hilton on the pitch I think fans will feel a lot better about the place because of what they mean to the team mean to the football club or have well, done it, in the recent years it looks like we're strengthening for the uh, business end of the season mm. that's what, what well I mean we only saw happening. 20 minutes of um, Carter Vickers at West Brom he came on for Donovan Daniels uh, I mean he was always going to be no disrespect again but he was always going to be better than Daniels he had a mare on that particular afternoon but actually there was a composure about him and that's the one thing our defence has not had all season long is someone just to be composed with the ball at their feet just know knows what he's doing really you know and West Brom were attacking it weren't like oh the 2-0 up and they just set off no 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 they brought another striker on they, would, they, mm. they wanted more goals they were going for it and um he offered for the ball. He was never out of position. He was comfortable on the ball, feeding the ball into Glen Ray, feeding the ball into Pellerado compared to the kind of passes that Sonny Bradley has been required to do but hasn't always managed to do this season. Um, telling Dan Potts where to be, that's probably the most important thing that that 
person who plays in that position needs to do needs to keep Potts on side I liked what I saw in them 20 minutes I must admit man. well he's got plenty of experience at this level got the pedigree absolutely yeah so you know okay Stoke fans weren't exactly complimentary about him but it's, it's the old thing sometimes a club just doesn't suit a player and, I mean that you club know, there, and I there's rotten. plenty of yeah, toxic isn't it that club stuck yeah and I don't just say that because Nathan Jones went there. They've been toxic for some time. And yeah, they? I mean, they didn't rate him, yet we beat Derby and Derby going to beat Stoke 4-0. I mean, how does that follow? Uh, the other signing that we've made, and I know you're really happy with this one, James. Um, so am I. That's good. Everyone seems to be happy then. Unano Kane is back for mm. 18 months. Yep. Yeah. Really, really good signing. If you think that, okay, we only saw him in League One last season, but you could tell he wasn't a League One player last season. First, he had, first five minutes. He had a bit <laughs> of class about him, didn't he? You well, know? He, he's obviously been signed with a view to next season, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, it's going to take him a while and, to get fully fit, but it's nice to He made his debut off the bench at Wickham last season, didn't he? And yeah. I know it's not hard to stand out against Wickham, but he, 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 was, he went right he above class. the level. Well, there, didn't we can then have a midfield. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, but but he, you know he played a number of positions for us as well, didn't he? He's played wide on the left. He played in the number ten position. Uh, and what I like about him is sometimes it's hard to go back to the scene of a crime, isn't it? You know, when you've suffered such a horrific injury like that. You know, it says a lot about him that he wants to come back, and that we stayed in touch with him to want him to come back. Unfinished business, really. That isn't it. The, the thing I liked about him, and it's with every decent player, is uh, when he's got the ball, it feels like he's got more space than other players. He just seems to be able to do that and engineer it, and that gives him the platform to try and play balls through, um, thread balls through that um, is what is kind of needed. He's kind of an Izzy Brown and a Luke Berry kind of mixed together, isn't he? In, in many ways, he can carry the ball like Luke Berry, and he's got that eye for quality that Izzy Brown's got I'm, I'm amazed really because I didn't I didn't see a great deal from Leeds centre midfielders that suggested that guy he's been frozen out Make no well mistake. I remember you did an interview with him I think at yeah. Wickham last season yeah, yeah. yeah he was frozen out then Bielsa didn't want him at all they stuck him in with the kids um so yeah I think it's a really good movie I don't think he'll play for a couple of weeks maybe mm. a couple of months you might see him at the end he's been signed for the long term don't think he's coming in for this season if he can come in and make an impact it'd be a bonus but an 18 month loan arrangement is let's see how he is and if he does the business he's our player at the end of that let's, yeah. make, let's I, make sure I, he hasn't I lost his quality as well. and it's, uh, it's good to see that yeah. But I, I was going to say something, uh, actually, Kev, which might surprise you. A couple of weeks ago, I actually wanted Wickham to win a game. Three they clues have they played. They must have been, playing Milton, Ke- they must have been playing Milton Keynes because yeah, they lost and, that game. And they let me down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, no, good good, good that um, O'Kane's back. And I think if we do lose Izzy Brown at the end of the season, like I think most people expect us to, then the gap from whoever is... Hmm after is he is lessened with the quality of O'Kane there so uh, yeah that's good he's not going to play in the upcoming games but we're about to review them because this is a massive part of our season coming up and it starts on Saturday when when we're we're when we're at home to um, Cardiff City team that we should already have got a point against this season already um, who just went to penalties in the cup in midweek with a number of players starting for them 
Good signs? I didn't think much of Cardiff in that league game that they won, to be honest. I, I and they're not likely to be any better without Warnock, are they? I mean, Warnock's a good manager at this level. Neil Harris, not quite so. Yeah, I just think they're one of those clubs, uh, like you and Millwall and your Birmingham's, that play to their strengths because they've got Neil Harris up there. They'll probably do that. But I don't think they're any... Uh, I don't think they're huge great shakes you can't tell anything from the cup game up there because it was the change side but got two massive centre halves didn't they Flint and Morrison they have uh, and well Luton don't cross the ball anyway so <laughs> no I was thinking their set pieces at the other end more uh, than right, yeah, else, yeah. it should be interesting to see them trying to stop Lawal Lawal though yes yeah because he didn't play that game did he did he no no it yeah. took him about two months yeah. to get fit didn't it so yeah it will be interesting um, Izzy Brown wouldn't have played that game either that's true like all the home games now uh, apart from in fact the Fulham one uh, you, you should be expecting to get something from the game um, and that's where the majority probably of the points are going to come from if you're going to mount any sort of challenge Let, let's not forget as well that if Luton get out of this they'll be setting some sort of record because it's been well over a decade since anyone's got out of it from the position they're in after halfway, th- halfway through the season mm-hmm. uh, following that Sheffield Wednesday at home another game that we should have got a point from in the away game I'm hoping that we'll win Wednesday you know um, we've got a good chance the trouble is Wednesday are one of those sides that blow hot and cold so I hope we meet them on an off night yeah fitting that we play Sheffield Wednesday on a Wednesday really isn't mm. it? it wouldn't feel right otherwise um, it's good that it's the Wednesday, I think, that extra day. Yeah. So it's a big game. When you're talking about that three-game week, uh, where, in fact, Graham Jones said uh, yesterday, didn't he, that if you've got four days to recover, you should be OK. But that means that we've only got three games to recover for the Middlesbrough away game. Now, two mm. months ago, that was looming large as an absolute mm. massive game, but Middlesbrough are probably out of it now, and it's probably feels not quite... If we... How do I put it? If we can lose, a, if we're going to lose a game in these next three, that's the one that we can probably afford to do it and not have too much of an impact. Yeah, probably. Yeah, uh, I mean it's a, it's a six-horse race now, and we're at the bottom of the pile, um, and we got to get up to third place if we're going to stay up out of the six-horse race. And one of those horses is very much Charlton Athletic, who mm. everyone was, you know, y- eulogising over their start to the season, but they've already been beaten down here, and they have dropped like a stone since then. That's a massive game the following Saturday. It is, it is huge. That, it, it points to injuries, and fair, it probably is. It probably is injuries because um, we had enough of that night as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a massive game. That there's um, a bit of revenge to be had for the way that Luton's 28 game run came to an end last season deserve any so they got beaten properly beaten yeah for a penalty though was it Tony no no (laughs) definitely not (laughs) but um, if yeah if they can pick up a couple if they can pick up a win four points maybe six points would be dreamland before then uh, and go to Charlton and get something then then it gets tasty. Then we test James's theory about expecting something from every home game because it's Brentford at home after that. And do you expect anything from that, Tony? My heart says yes. My head says no. Um, 
it's another evening game under the lights. You know, Luton lift, tend to lift their game for that. We shouldn't need motivating for that, considering what happened uh, at Brentford. So, hopefully a point. They've got the BMW up front. Do you expect anything to uh, materialise from that? I'm usually a, a realist about these scenarios, but I just think it's got the slight smell of like an FA Cup game where but in reverse where like a lower league team has managed to get a replay and they played really well in the first game but then they get absolutely hammered in the second game I think in the reverse since they got hammered at Griffin Park I reckon they could nick so I'm not saying win I reckon a draw well look Southampton lost 9-0 home to Leicester and went and beat them in the reverse game so it, it is yeah. possible but if we are going to stay in this division this season we simply must win the game that follows that at home to Stoke City yes yeah that's a big a biggie yeah also because uh, they, he's turned it around a little bit hasn't he Mark? but they're not no. away yet no, 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 no. and that's, that's that's the important thing you've got to try and claw these teams back in uh, even just if in we don't overtake them keep them in keep them under pressure let them know that we're there and within three or four points you slip up we win all of a sudden yeah. we're right with you because again. that club expects everyone in that club from the board to the fans expects to be better than where they are um, and if they get sucked down into it we've already to- we've already spoken how much of a toxic club that is you never know what could happen uh, you know the, just the sense of feeling around that club so you've got to try and keep them in it big day that one that is for sure big six games coming up hopefully the town can take plenty of points that's it chaps we have covered an Brilliant. awful lot tonight and uh, well thank you for your company as always and thank you to, for everyone who's listened we will aim to get to the training ground and bring you the views of a couple of players between now and the end of the month hopefully before one of the two away games that are coming up and um, we will reconvene early in March so all that's left for me to say is thanks to everyone for listening thanks Tony thanks James for your company thanks yeah. for Reg to joining us You're thanks welcome. Simon for sending through his um, stats piece if you've listened to us on iTunes please give us a rating we, uh, we're going to we're going to take the uh, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're hoping to do big things with well, the podcast anyway. over 2020 mm-hmm. so um, the bigger the rating that we can get the, it really will benefit us send in any comments um, like and share and um, subscribe and we will be back next month cheers good night <laughs>